from Nancy. I speak the word over you, perfect and complete resolution of this. That, uh, that's one of the two main types of healing, the, the grace remedy, that the Lord is adjusting things that your body needs, and he's putting his, his formula in you, and we speak that it would be quick now, and, and it's positioning you for strength and vitality for the days to come, because we need you to be strong and vital. Amen. So health and life. Thank you for that testimony. And uh, thank you, Les, for those fiery hands of yours. That's great. Hallelujah. Anybody else that needs healing, we speak life and health into your body now in Jesus' name. And whatever the Lord is doing to lead you into that perfect point of health and vitality, let it be continued in, in, in his timing, in his perfect way. And um, praise the Lord. You know, Zach's still passing papers out. I don't want anybody to, to, to be bereft of the paper so you can be reading those for the first few minutes that I'm speaking. Um, uh, I told you about um, what I did and the, the various therapy that I went through uh, to learn exercises and things to strengthen myself. And I'm very, very grateful for that. And in fact, I, uh, I actually made an appointment to go back to see these, these, this therapist group because I wanted to do more. I, I was feeling fine, but I wanted to do, I wanted to do more. So don't underestimate the path that God leads you on in healing. And if, if, you, if you're not to the point you want to be, good grief, don't go into bitterness. Keep a lock on your lips because death and life are in the power of your tongue. And trust in the fact that the Lord is either therapying or bringing uh, grace remedies. And um, I, I'm believing with you for you to emerge from whatever it is you're facing, and it may not be sickness, it may be some other thing, that you'll be strengthened through the process of overcoming. And um, if you just give people things, they don't learn anything. Have we learned that in our economy? If you just give people things, what do they learn? They learn how to get something. They don't grow at all. But if you work for something, it has more meaning, and you learn to do and to teach. And so that's not the message for the day. Thank you, Zach, for passing out these outlines. And today, that startling title, The Comforter and the Deaf and Dumb Spirit. What in the world? I'm sure that there's never been a sermon title called that before, even on Elijah list. I bet there has never been a sermon title that says <coughs> The Comforter and the Deaf and Dumb Spirit. Well, we'll talk about this. And we'll see what the Lord is showing in the Scripture. Because my premise is, from what I've studied, that the deaf and dumb spirit, not everybody that's deaf, not everybody that can't speak, not everybody that's blind, sometimes that's a physical difficulty. And we get confused. Sometimes we're trying to cast demons out of people that just need a healing. And it leaves everybody confused. Um, <coughs> but there's a very clear... Uh, alignment between um, what God wants to do through truth and sonship and the characteristics of that and what we see over and over again in the scriptures as demonic tactics. And so we'll hopefully see that today. And the beauty of this is that those of you who will be scratching your head with one hand while you're helping Zach put chairs in the place, you'll be able to listen to this again and hopefully get some some clarity, but I can tell you I wouldn't be preaching this if, if I didn't see it very clearly in the Word. So, what we're going to do is we're going to give a definition, and then we're going to go through the Scriptures that talk about the, the Spirit of Truth and the Comforter, and then we're going to go into um, something that really speaks from the Word about how the enemy wants us not to be the sons that God has ordained us to be, 
And he doesn't want us in God's pathway of the revelation of truth and the application of that and how he uses that, how the enemy uses those tactics is clearly shown in the scripture, even though uh, we may not have seen it. So we'll just begin by reading that first uh, right there, two thirds of the way down in your sheet, the spirit of truth, and we'll go back up and talk about definitions. In John 14, verses 15 through 17, if you love me, keep my commandments. I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not theoreo him, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. Now, that is a powerful statement by the Lord. And the first characteristic of the spirit of truth and the comforter is that you're abiding, meno, where God plants you. Uh, That's what abide is. It is for you to accept your assignment and to be faithful there. Um, and we, we, we recognize that the world is not going to understand that. There are many facets of the world. A lot of that is religion because it does not see what God is revealing. Remember when we taught years ago about Thereo, the rule of God through vision. He, they, they don't know that this is the way he wants to work. Some don't care, but you will not function with the spirit of truth, the comforter, unless you are in commune with him, being willing to see what his rule is communicating, and then you applying it faithfully where you're planted. Now, he says that this spirit had been with them, Uh, obviously through his impact, but he will be operative in you. And that's going to come when Jesus gives himself on the cross and then you become born again in spirit. Make sense? This is elemental stuff. You guys all know this. So what does the comforter mean? Again, this is elemental. It comes from parakletos, and I gave you a really theological-sounding definition there up at the top. Uh, Basically, and you can read that. I don't need to read it. Um, I wrote it, so I don't need to read it. Uh, In the New Testament, this word applies to the spirit of truth. Uh, it It is not necessarily a legal term, even though the Greeks employed it as a legal term. But in the New Testament, it was not applied as a legal term. It was always about the spirit of truth. It was always about God coming to you and calling for you to find your place so that you will abide there, that he can show his spirit uh, and what his kingdom is wanting to you in the place where you're called. And um, so to abide where God plants you and to see and know therein. This word kaleo, from which parakletos comes from, means to call out or scream uh, we get our English word verb to call from this. It, the Latin was gallus, meaning rooster, and the, the, the region Gaul, which is now a large part of France, was from this term, which is probably why they have le coq as their symbol. And um, ecclesia, the Greek word, the, the called out ones, the church comes from this. And really, it just goes back to what, why God created humans in partnership with him. Humans are designed to operate in divinely coordinated networks. Uh, the same is true on the material level for atomic particles and the biological level for living cells. Jesus, God said it is not good for man to be alone, Genesis 2.18 And in man's weakness, he calls out, forms conventions, cooperations, and ultimately becomes stronger than any strong man could be by himself. In other words, two put 10,000 to flight. Um, So God wants us to know him. He wants us to take our position, but he wants us also to 
uh, be in alignment with those who are standing similarly. And he calls us to go, which is what one of the main assignments of this church in the Saints Network is, to go and make disciples around the world and to establish these people to also stand where God has called them. And um, so they call to us, we call to them, but we all call to the Father. This is the operative function of the Comforter. And if there were any legal involvement, it would be our responsibility to teach and to preach. And when the, the system is threatened in warfare, we stand in agreement and righteous armor on the right and left. And we are hearing what God is saying. The parakletos, as we've taught before, is not like the old-time Pentecostals would say that, uh, you know, it's, it's calling alongside to help. You know, friend, are you broke down by the road of life? You just reach out to the comforter because he's a nice, big, warm, triple-A blanket that will come and just make everything peachy keeny for you. We don't want to relegate God to a 911 call. This is us hearing his call. This is us saying, yes, Lord, here am I. Send me. I will stand. And that's how the comforter and the spirit of truth are both sides uh, or sides of the same coin of the spirit of God, where you are, you are called, you are cho you're chosen, you're called, and you say, yes, Lord. And then God begins to reveal things that have not been seen before, things that have been hidden, things that you need to learn that you did not know in him, things that he's revealing in this time frame that have not happened since the foundation of the world. The spirit of truth is working overtime right now, trying to get us positioned, trying to get us outfitted, with the mind of Christ, with seeing things as God would see, opening up the, the storehouses of the Word of God so that where we have said we'll stand, where we have taken responsibility to say, you take your stand where you are, we'll show you what we've learned in the Lord. We will lead you, hopefully, into that point. We'll pattern for you how to pray, what you're to know in the Father. The Father wants you to be a son. The Father wants you to be functioning. The Father wants to move. Heaven come down where you are. The Father wants the river of life to flow through your area. The Father wants you to be as trees of righteousness. These are our responsibility to give as we've been freely give, given. But this is why the comforter and the spirit of truth, which is those things that were hidden that are no longer hidden. It's not just a collection of facts. It's not just reams of books on a shelf that you studied a lot. Now you're an egghead. No, it's things that God has not shown before. And guess, guess what? This will be happening throughout eternity. We will never have it all. But we have him, and he is all in all. So, then he says in John 14, verse 26, and he's saying all these things because he is at the table with, the, with those disciples and he is quickly going to be in Gethsemane and then on the cross. And then shortly after that, gone from them. So he's telling, because that's happening, this is what I'm sending. This is what I'm empowering you to do. If, 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 if I stayed here, I could not send this. But because of what I'm doing, I'm going to the Father, I'm going to pray, and this capacity is going to be sent to you. This is what Jesus did, not just so that you could be born again and wait for the trumpet to blow. This is for you to be serving now in the kingdom. And I'm thankful for each of you who are willing to do this and to be this with the Father because not everybody is willing. It doesn't make us better than anybody else. But I'm thankful that the light shined for you and you were willing to say, yes, Lord, I hear that call. I will stand. And I will not only stand, but I will instruct others whom you send. I'm grateful for this. So John 14, 26 
the Comforter, which is the saintly wind, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. That's great. Those of you who say, well, you know, I think I'm, I'm grateful to hear these things, but I just can't remember them. Ask the Comforter. Ask the Spirit of Truth to bring those things to your remembrance. This is Jesus' promise. John 15, 26 and 27. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of Truth, which proceeds from the Father, because it's a theoreo. That was the first passage we, we read. He will testify of me, and you shall also bear witness, because you've seen, you've been with me from the beginning. This is martyrio. This is you being willing to be prophetic in, in, in not only proclaiming, but dying to self, dying to anything that could cause you to get up and run off of the living sacrifice altar. This is martyria. This, this is bear witness. That's martyria. Uh, the spirit of truth proceed. He will testify. That's martyria. And, um, you know, in, a, in kind of a strange way, this isn't the message for this morning, obviously, but how is the spirit of truth martyria of Jesus? Uh, it, it, do you ever wonder what it costs the Father to invest into you? The long-suffering God who could do anything on his own in a millisecond has chosen to die to that strength and power for you and me. That is a, that is a martyria from the Father. That, it's an amazing thing. I still wonder... I was praying about this this morning, at the love of God for me, that in spite of how slow I can be and how idiotic I, how, I can be in my perceptions, that, that he is just long-suffering and he tries different ways so that I can finally realize the truth. That's, that's the Father dying. That's the Father laying Himself out for you. So the Spirit of truth that wants to guide you and me into these things that have been hidden, how often is He trying to show us, trying to show us, trying to show us, trying to show us, it's imperative that you see this, it's imperative that you see this. And, and I just speak for myself, I can't speak for any of you. I think, God, Forgive my hardness of hearing. You're so good to just keep on trying to show me. And then finally when it comes, maybe I'm not the steward of these mysteries that I should be. God just, for what Jesus came to do, the spirit of truth lays that dimension of the heart of God out for us. And then we have to become that way. Oh, sometimes it's frustrating. You just keep trying to teach something and it just doesn't seem to be going. And it's the word. It's not some philosophy we dreamed up. And so you pray and you ask God to open people's hearts, but it's just, you all who are teachers, you face this, a lot of teachers in this room, and you wonder, what else do I have to do to make these people, these kids, they, it's like they don't want to learn. Did you ever think that? I'm sure you did. Any teacher that I've talked to, you know that. But what does the Father feel? I mean, that's interesting. That's not the message for today. Let's keep going. The primary reason Jesus came is this next one. And here are the four points that we would hit the mark, that we will partner in the vision with the Father, that we will apply the spirit of judgment and burning against strongholds in this world. These things belong to the Father and, and Jesus, and they're being revealed to you. John 16, verses 7 through 15. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. 
when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin. We just both those, those four points. And of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go, not, I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of himself, but whatever he hears, that will he speak, and he will show you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will receive of mine and show it unto you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he shall take of mine and show it unto you. This is what we're praying about this week. These signature passages, all from the core of John, from John 14 through 16, Jesus saying, this is what's coming and this is what you need to be. So it's hearing it's seeing, it's being, it's standing, it's teaching, it's being faithful with what you've been shown from the Word. That is so important. Now, as I said, what I see in, uh, am seeing uh, in study um, is uh, how the enemy tries, first of all, to resist this tries to stop it. But even beyond that, uh, what we're going to look at is the mark and progression, uh, the, the progression in Mark. Um, Israel was, was occupied by the demonic. It's just true. And um, the enemy had encampments, and it, it would seem that just like any any inhabiting army, you want to eliminate dissenting voices and you want to eliminate the truth. You, don't, you, you want to control the narrative. Uh, we see that in our country today where um, they want to control what you read, what you see, the take that you get. And like when you see uh, controlling armies move into a country, the first thing they do is to eliminate teachers those who speak about religion, and they uh, take control of the media, and they just only let people see what they want them to see, and they certainly don't want them to know the truth. Um, the enemy, uh, that was the main thing that he tried to control through uh, the people of God, that they would not know God, that they would not have understanding, that they wouldn't see, and they wouldn't be. And so you see that everywhere. You see that everywhere. I was studying, as I threatened the, the, you that I was, particularly focusing on the book of Mark, at how Jesus, through the book of Mark, uh, dealt with the demonic. And it's, it's, it, is, it is a tactical manual of warfare. It is strategic in such a profound way, and we would do well to learn this. Um, the first instance in the book of Mark, and I know there are three other Gospels. You can consult harmonies of the Gospels, but Mark, most people recognize that Mark was the first out of the gate of the Gospels, and he, he seemed to get right on, right at the beginning, he wrote and um, not that he's any more anointed than Matthew or Luke or John, but Mark just wrote things that, from a young man's viewpoint, and everybody benefited from it. So Mark is, is really telling us something through the anointing of the Spirit. So the first thing Mark talks about regarding the enemy is Jesus in the wilderness and the temptation, and there Satan is. And this probably, most everybody agrees, in fact, I didn't see anybody who didn't agree, that this took place in the wilderness to the west of the Sea of Galilee, to the west. So if you're looking at a map, the left-hand side, the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus triumphs, 40 days. There he meets with Satan himself. Jesus triumphs. And that's, that's amazing. 
The next thing that we see is Jesus teaching in a synagogue, and he's speaking words with power, and all of a sudden, there is an unclean spirit that begins to cause a ruckus. And um, so that's the second instance. But it's an unclean spirit, and what we know about a cathartos spirits is they want to block, they want to hinder. And so all of a sudden, here's this guy who's teaching the Scripture with power. He's giving information. He's bringing truth. And this is, verbo this is verboten. We can't have this going on, so I'm going to cause a ruckus. But it was teaching that first prompted an unclean spirit to react. Next, then you have people that are bringing individuals who are possessed, many of which are unclean spirits. And um, you have, you know, you've got this demonized kid or this demonized person in the house, and you, you're just exasperated because you have a responsibility for them, and you don't know what you're, you're going to do. So you hear about this guy that is now beginning to move, and um, and there, there's, there's power that he has, so they drag out the demonized and take him to Jesus. That's the third type of instance. The fourth was the religious people who say, you know what? This guy's casting out demons. We don't like it. We're against it. Because, you know, and plus, you know, he's teaching truth. and We don't like it because it's threatening our power base and you know, we didn't teach this before, and now where's he getting this? Even the people are saying he's got the same scriptures as us, but he's doing it with power, teaching with power, not demonstrating power, but he's teaching with power, and we don't like it. So he must be Beelzebub, which is, for all of them, Baal. You couldn't go into a town throughout Israel without finding some kind of a decrepit altar to Baal or Ashtaroth. Baal, they were silly with Baal. He was everywhere. So they were certainly familiar with Beelzebub, or as the, as the Latin languages call him, Beelzebub. Aren't you glad that we don't call it Beelzebub? We'd have fun with that all the time. Beelzebub. <laughs> it amuses me. So... Anyway, and then he says, Jesus talks about how Beelzebub uh, commands these demons, and, and um, he's not Beelzebub, but he's got authority over Beelzebub. And if, uh, if the people that are accusing him, by which do your disciples cast out demons? And he really is talking about this, this structure of Baal throughout the land that the religious people knew about, but they weren't doing anything about it. Then we come into the things that I've written here. Mark 4. This is when they were on the boat. They were heading down toward the Gadarene region. The big storm kicks up. Jesus commands the storm to be still. He comes onto the shore, and the Scriptures say one guy comes. Another Scripture says two guys come. They lay proscuneo before him and say, Jesus, do you are the Christ. What have we to do with you? Have you come here to uh, destroy us before the time? These are legion spirits. Jesus made them identify themselves just like, you know, any, uh, any army when they surrender, the general has to make himself known. And I mentioned this the other day, uh, famous from our history of Yorktown, which I don't think is taught in schools anymore, when the, the French and uh, George Washington's army uh, defeated the British and Cornwallis, wouldn't come out to surrender his sword. He sent one of his lieutenant generals out and uh, he said, Cornwallis is sick. And Washington said, well, I'm sick too. Give it to my lieutenant here. But Jesus wanted that army leader to say who he was. And that was a surrender. But that region then, he sends this guy to the Decapolis region, which was 10 cities on the eastern side of the lake. And this guy that used to house the headquarters of the army of the demons is now going from city to city saying how Jesus set him free, which is wonderful. The next thing is Mark 6. You've got it there on your sheet. Um, Jesus sends the guys from Bethsaida, uh, they, and, and they're going on a boat. Instead of walking through Chorazim, they, they go 
from Bethsaida, John says, toward Capernaum. And another storm kicks up, and Jesus walks on the water to come and uh, set them free. Um, Mark 7, then, he is near, near the coast of Tyre and Sidon, and a Syrophoenician woman comes. Her daughter is possessed, and um, she says, can you come and heal my daughter? He says the thing that sounds totally horrible. You know, uh, the bread is for the children, and it's not for you. And she said, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus says, because of that saying, you're free. Your daughter's free. We'll talk about more about what that means in just a moment, because it wasn't Jesus being snarky with her. This was something that was really vital. Then he leaves that place, and he, they walk past the south end of the Sea of Galilee, and they come up the eastern shore of the Decapolis, and they're ministering then. That's kind of an odd thing, but that's what they did. And then in Mark 7, 32, what we talked about last week, uh, well, Mark 7 and Mark 8, the, he heals the deaf guy who could not speak, had a private meeting, spit on his tongue, and touched his ears. And then Mark 8, he spits on the guy's eye, Bethsaida Ministries, walking. And then from here, he goes to Caesarea Philippi, probably, and then probably to Mount Tabor, and this is the Mount of Transfiguration. So do you see this progression of the demonic in Mark? Mark is saying it begins here, then it, then it, he takes out an army, and then he, he takes out the power base in the north because Magdala is right near there, the power base of, of the demonic. Then he goes over here, and there's a woman of the land who's from Syria and Phoenicia, so she's a woman of Galilee, and he makes this statement about bread and crumbs, and the, the little girl's free, sweeps back around through the place where the demonic, formerly demonic guy is testifying, and he comes back up, and it, it's, it's very strategic. This is, just, this is just amazing to me. Um, but he ends up then at the Mount of Transfiguration. It's as if he has defeated every major outpost of the demonic in that, in that region, and now he's going to be transfigured. And from this point then, as we all know, his ministry takes a turn where he's not just patterning things. He's telling these guys, this is what you're going to have to do. I'm going to be going. You have to do this. You have to do this. And he begins really doing um, a lot of teaching. And from that point, from, uh, we'll read this passage. From that point, you don't read in Mark. You, you read nary a thing about the demonic. It's very interesting, very interesting. Mark 9, 17 through 29, and Tabor is on the western side of, of um, the Galilee area, uh, the Sea of Galilee area, which is basically he's come back to the place where he began, but he's up on the mountain. One of the multitude, Jesus is up there with Peter, James, and John. They left their sailboat down in the water, and... Um, uh, he, he meets there Moses and Elijah, and his face is shining. The disciples are beside themselves. And when uh, these four come down from the mountain, there's this guy with a little boy who's demonized. And this little boy has an unclean spirit. That's what the Scripture says. So here we go again. One of the multitude answered and said, Master, I brought unto you my son who has a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth. What we're going to see here is we've highlighted here various characteristics of, of this deaf and dumb, this unclean spirit, um, because it is identified as an unclean spirit. And what we see here aligns with the Old Testament and, and there are key points here that tells us how these beings operate, what they were originally created to do, and understanding that gives us a measure of, of positioning and power over them 
that uh, just tree and a demon wouldn't give us. That's what Kenneth Hagin used to talk. You know, I was in a meeting and some folks had treed a demon. They were just, roar, 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 you know, just yelling at demons. And, um, but this gives us an understanding by what this little boy, what this demon through this little boy is doing. It aligns with so many things in the Old Testament that speak about the demonic and creation. And this little boy is patterning characteristics of the demonic realm uh, from a time before they rebelled. Just as that, that uh, legion came and immediately proscuneoed and asked for positioning and negotiated points of keeping their terrain, they were depicting what they were before the foundation of the world appointed for that region. This is very interesting what this kid's doing. He says, Whatever he, wherever he taketh him, he teareth. Now, this is an interesting word because it's reso, and it means to crack open, to rejoice, and to sing. This word was also used to describe um, what happens with the new wine and the fermentation. And if you try to put this into an old wineskin, do things the old way, it'll burst open. It uses that word. But... And if you take the extrapolation and the, the, the quotation part from other usages of this word, it goes back to Isaiah 54, verse 1, where it speaks about the barren and sing aloud, cry aloud, because it's time for you to bring forth. So here's this little boy, and tearing is reso. This, this, this demon recognizes who Jesus is regardless of the, the, the strategic way that he was sent to try to hinder, and he was doing a pretty good job with it, of those other nine disciples that were down at the, basis of the, uh, at the base of the hill. And the first thing this one does, this little one does, is to do whatever, whatever it sounded like. This was a rejoicing. This was a singing. This was a cracking open. So it wasn't being ripped apart or piece by piece. This was a noise that spoke about birthing. The tearing would be kind of like breaking something open. I think that's very interesting. Now, why was this a child? Well, I, I can extrapolate from that. I don't really want to. We've got a long way to go here for the morning. But why is the enemy attacking our children today? Why, why is he trying to program little ones? Why is he trying to sow all kinds of immorality and filth into them, governmentally sanctioned? Because if you do that, you control the next generations. And this wasn't necessarily a Valley of Hinnom thing where you're offering them up on an altar of fire, but obviously this boy from, from his infancy I don't think this father was innocent. I, I don't know him, but somehow this little boy was subjected to this. I don't know where the mother was. I don't know where the grandmother was. It's very interesting that the father has this kid, and there's no mention of the others. So we can come up with all kinds of imagination as to why this is. But this little boy's got an unclean spirit, and obviously that happens some way. Um, he foams, he gnashes with his teeth, which some people just say that's epilepsy, but this is, this is indicative of being able to receive the truth and ingesting it. We don't know what angels look like when they receive words. I don't think they have saliva. I, I really don't. Maybe they do. But this is a human personification of this demonic being wanting to receive some kind of word. Because I think that unclean spirits were originally created to facilitate the flow of what God wanted. And they, were, they wanted to receive the, the fresh word from the Father, the fresh command to receive it, to assimilate it, and to do it. And without that, they, um, they just served as their purpose to keep other pe people from doing that. And this, is, uh, this demon and this little boy really depicting things for, from, a, from a human assignment 
um, that they, they were probably created to do in a positive way. And then it says, he pineth away. This word means to wither, to become emaciated. And what we've, what we've seen is how, particularly with Beelzebub or Baal, those of you who've seen that being through the grace of, through God's instruction, will recognize that he, he's made to expand and to contract. It's almost like a decrease that God might increase. It's almost like the principle of fasting to become small so that you can become great. And um, obviously this unclean spirit with this rather unusual term, pining away doesn't mean, oh, oh woe is me. It's withering up. It's shrinking. So what do you have so far? You have this longing to be able to birth something. You have uh, the, the, the desire to receive something, to foam and to gnash with the teeth. Then you have this depiction of being emaciated, being, being shrunken down, which unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it has no life in it. You die that you might live. You decrease so that you might increase. These are all tactics that we have the strategies of the Lord for us as intercessors. And here's this unclean spirit doing all of these things. And then it says, I spoke to your disciples that they should cast him out, but they could not. He answered them and said, O faithless generation, a generation that is not showing up at the right hand of God, how long will I be with you? How long will I suffer you? Bring him unto me. They brought him, and when he saw him, straightway the spirit there you go again. Tears. Wow. And he fell on the ground and wallowed, making a circular motion, foaming. And he asked his father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, of a child. Oft times, it, what's it do? Cast him into the fire and into the waters to bring about uh, destruction. Apollomai. And if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. Straightway the father of the child cried out, Kratzo, which is an appeal. You've studied that. Mark Burke wrote a book on that. Or is it a booklet? He also wrote about uh, dumb and deaf spirit, so you can avail yourself of that. But he cries out and says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Jesus saw that the people came running together. He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying, You dumb and deaf spirit, I charge you, come out of him, enter no more into him. And the spirit cried, Kradzo, the spirit was help, crying out for help from his contemporaries, and rent him sore and came out of him, and he was as one dead, inasmuch that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he was coming to his house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast him out? And he said unto them, This kind comes forth but by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Why prayer and fasting? Because if you're going to, have to, if you're going to be dealing with these kinds of spirits that are populating the land, you've got to make sure that you are totally dead to self, that your strength is reliant on the Lord. You fast so that you can hear more clearly from the Lord and that you will gain His insight, you will gain His direction, that you will gain His meekness, which is fasting, is, is exactly what this spirit was depicting. Becoming small, wanting to eat but not having anything within. I just think this is interesting. So the deaf and dumb spirit is equated here with the unclean spirit, and um, which to me, what did Jesus say to that woman? I can't give the bread for the children, the word from the Father to you, which, is, which was what would be necessary for your daughter, however this baby got demonized, and that was never clarified. Um, what, what you really need is a word from the Father, which is what children and sons should depict, and I'm not giving it to you. And then she said, well, how about the crumbs? How about the crumbs? Uh, we live, you either live as a child of God or you live like an animal. 
That's just the truth. He didn't say that. I'm saying that. You either live as a child of God or you're just like a beast in the field. Um, if you're not fulfilling the function that God gave you to be as sons, that Jesus gave his life for, then what really are you doing on this earth? No matter how philanthropic you may be, no matter how you may have done good deeds, if you're not functioning, you're, you're really, if you're not born again, then you're, you're not much better off than just a, an animal. I mean, that's just the truth. It's just the truth. So, I was, we were thinking about this deaf and dumb spirit, and um, it, it became obvious in looking through the Old Testament that deaf and dumb was something that um, is really indicated in a lot of ways throughout the Old Testament. Um, why deaf and dumb? Because God wants you to hear, God wants you to speak, God wants you to see him, he wants you to be as him. The deaf and dumb, unclean spirit wants to limit your ability to know and to understand what your identity is, who God is, and wants to stop communication, wants to stop you from learning, which is why the first time an unclean spirit, the law's first issue, in, law first uh, instance in in Mark was when Jesus was teaching the word, and the un, and he was with power, and the unclean spirit rises up to cause a ruckus because they don't want people to hear; they want them to be deaf and dumb. Now I don't know what indication uh, uh, someone with a spirit, a, a, a deaf and dumb spirit would be, what purpose they serve other than to irritate, other than to be a poster child of what the, the demonic desire is for the people themselves. There may be some kind of a, you know, it goes back to why demons want to possess people anyway. Uh, I, I think that there are lots of reasons for that. Um, one is they want to thumb their proverbial noses at God. They, they want to, to, to be utilizing people in a perverted way uh, as opposed to what God created them to be. But there are also capacities within a human that uh, the demonic was, was created to serve those. That's what the Bible says, serve those are the heirs of salvation. And so, you know, you, you see in, in the book of Revelation, um, there are going to be people that have to proscuneo before these idols that speak. And um, so, but there's obviously some kind of power that is generated for the, the, the enemy encampment that comes through these humans, just like the little girl that saw Paul, and, that saw Paul as with the spirit of divination, and she had those three handlers with her, and she said, listen to this guy. You know, he's a servant of the Most High. And Paul listened to it for a couple of days, and then his spirit became agitated, and he finally had enough, and he turned and cast the spirit out. That was a prince of the power of the air, obviously, a divination type of a thing. So there's, there's some reason that the enemy is going after the, the young ones in this generation. Um, but there, the point, though, is, is that this... Mount of Transfiguration time, uh, when Jesus is glowing, you see this being doing all of these things that really indicate, and I, uh, forgive me, I, I wrote this out early in the morning, and I, you, you've got your strongs. I think I, you just have to clarify tearing and tear. I'm pretty sure it's both reso, um, but I should have written a further definition, definition there. So anyway, looking through the Old Testament, and we find out this thing that's coming next, which I think is a prototype of a deaf and dumb spirit from the Old Testament. And, and it's what's called a brutish person. Now, look at the word. Just, just look there at that word that describes the brutish person. Does that sound familiar to any of you? Ba'ar? Does that sound familiar to any of you? 
spirit of judgment, judgment and burning. This is a perversion of the spirit of burning. What is the spirit of burning? Remember, mishpat is judgment. It is what God wants to do. It is what God's intent is for this time frame. And the functionality, the fire, the power of it is the burning. And from that then, you have the term for gaining water, beer, which is like Beersheba, the seven wells. And, and so you have burning, which also brings the function of what God's wanting to do, but it also brings the vitality into the land. So a brutish, brutish person is somebody that is operating against the Ba'ar of God. Um, senseless, foolish, um, deaf and dumb, I believe. And we'll look at that from some of these verses that we see. And also blind, but not so much. It's more about the deaf and dumb. Look at uh, Psalm 73, 21, 22. Thus my heart was grieved. I was pricked in my reins. So foolish, Ba'ar, was I, and ignorant, I was as a beast before thee. So you've got foolish, bar. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not manifesting what God is really want, and therefore I haven't been taught, and I'm not communicating. That's what yada is. I am not meditating upon a thing. So here you have, to me, deaf and dumb. You have the lack of communication, the ability to speak, and you have the lack of being able to apply what God would reveal, and you're just like a beast in the field. Think of that. That's very interesting, this ba'ar, this perversion of ba'ar. Proverbs 12.1, Whoso loves instruction loves knowledge, but he that hates reproof is brutish. Reproof there is not necessarily a rebuke. It's instruction. It's applying instruction. And we find this in the religious community. You bring a, a teaching from the Word, which is clearly from the Word. They take umbrage to it often and say, that's not in the Word, that's not scriptural, and we're not going to change. This, it, this threatens our power base. And, and so in religion, it's a resistance of what br God's bringing. But whoso loves instruction loves knowledge. So there's a basis of the base of what God wants and the instruction, the receiving of it. But the opposite of that is to hate any measure of development and to embrace this perversion of the burning of the Lord. Are you seeing this? I mean... I probably wouldn't even be teaching this if it wasn't the perversion of Ba'ar. And I don't know why at this point, maybe because we weren't looking for perversions when God was teaching, maybe the Lord just hid it from us. But to, be, to see this now, this perversion of Ba'ar, the burning of God, is important for us. And to see the connection of how unclean spirits try to trap people from hearing and being what God wants. And, and because of that then, there is no application of the throne, which is what Jesus said, you faithless generation, you are not before the right hand of the throne. And, and when he says, how long do I have to suffer you? It was more of a thing. It doesn't mean, again, he wasn't being petulant. It was to speak that this has gone on long enough. This was God speaking. Something's going to be done about this. And it was shortly thereafter. The spirit of truth comes. The comforter comes. And those two capacities, the brutish one, the, 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 the deaf and the dumb, unclean ones, will resist. This is interesting to me. Proverbs 30, verses 2 through 6. Surely, don't call me surely, I am more brutish than any man. There's the bar. And have not the understanding of a man. I neither learned wisdom nor have the knowledge of the holy. Who has ascended up into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Think about that. 
What kind of uh, a creation of God gathers the wind in his fists? Well, that's the leaves, isn't it? Bound the waters in a garment? What are you supposed to be doing with the innermost being? Rivers of living water flowing out. Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? What is his son's name? If you can tell. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. And thou not, add thou not unto his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Proverbs 30, that is an amazing thing. But here he speaks about the perversion of the Ba'ar. And then he goes into this. I have not understanding. I've not learned wisdom. I don't have a knowledge of the holy. But then he talks about how creation is supposed to function before God. And then he speaks about the vitality of the word. This is an amazing thing. Proverbs 92, 6. A brutish man knows not. Neither does a fool understand this. A brutish and a fool. Isn't that something? So to me, if you've got a perversion of the bar of the Lord, what God is wanting to do and how it's supposed to function, which is what spirit of truth is and what the comforter is, if you're resisting that and you're perverting it, which would be not gaining bread from the Father, not functioning as one would hear what he's saying, not uh, not. Uh, discovering through time spent with him, seeing what God would show, um, not taking advantage of the great gift that Jesus gives. Um, this is what the enemy wants to stop. This is the enemy traps people. Um, you, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge and for a lack of vision. The Bible speaks of this, and that's what the spirit, unclean spirits. In the army, they hold their ground and block any way that they can think of for, from the Spirit of God beginning to move. But these deaf and dumb spirits, they are, they are intent on keeping people from seeing and hearing. So it's a twofold thing. It's almost like the comforter is the placement of these legions. Spirit of truth is the instruction for the people to keep those things from happening. And throughout the book of Mark, that's what Jesus did. He, he confronted these beings over and over again. And how the enemy began the whole thing? The enemy began the whole thing by saying, hath God said, just like the serpent said in Eden. And Jesus answered with Scripture based upon what the Father had committed him to be and to do. And that's how you defeat the enemy. I just think it's interesting. What has God given us? Why did he choose to give us pneumaticos understanding instead of all the bells and whistles that most of the churches want? Why did he give us this? Because that's what Jesus did. How do you want to be Christ-like? You want to just cherry-pick all the, the power verses? Or do you want to see what the real power is? What was Jesus' agenda? How did he begin this book? How did he go from here to here? How did he defeat these enemies? What were the words that were used? How did the demons respond to him? It's exactly on behalf of what God has given you. Do you see that? I hope that we do. So when we're praying this week for the spirit of truth and sonship, the comforter, to be manifested powerfully even now among us, and among these dear ones in that populous nation of Brazil and throughout South America, this is what we're talking about. There, there are other things that the Lord is showing about where these, uh, you know, another thing about that uh, Isaiah 54, do you realize that the singing that is there that I said this being did right at the beginning? It's, it's what the morning stars sang at the creation of all things. These demonic beings, in conjunction with the angels of, the God, of God, when God made the possibilities of creation, they all sang together, same word from Isaiah 51, 54. And we're facing 
these. On behalf of the Father, we would not go on our own. We could not stand on our own. But we're facing strongholds that have been largely unaffected for thousands of years in South America. Do you, you realize that? It's interesting because when, when you talk to some of these pastors and you talk to, you know, Yuwali is a great source of information, you see that the principles, probably no other place on earth, maybe the Chinese, but no other place on earth do people hearken back to civilizations thousands of years ago, whether it was the Incas or the Aztecs or the Mayans, and their practices are very similar. Some distinctive differences, but their practices in worshiping the demonic are very similar. And people throughout all those areas still identify themselves with those people and how the, those beings interacted. And some of them still, to this day, go up into the high places, which are basically forests, and meet with these demons that are up there. You do realize that, don't you? We here, you know, in this metropolis, you know, we see the enemy moving, but, you know, you don't see high places. You don't see them. People aren't acknowledging them. But you do the further study and you see that how a lot of these terms that I just used are described by the Lord always in the Bible as a high place, which the kings of Israel were judged for not dealing with, then the, 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 the mounds or the, the sanctuaries, and then the groves where the trees are functioning around. And, you know, this is the structure. This is the structure. It's interesting that the mountains and the mountains and the hills are said to be singing in, in over and over again, this same term for singing. So there's something built in there that these beings deal with. But the trees are clapping their hands. The trees in intercession are welcoming the Lord. It's interesting. It's so interesting. And this is all through the Word. But for us, we're asking for the Spirit of truth and the Comforter to have His way among us in new ways that, that He would move among these pastors and among these thousands upon thousands of people that God needs to get in position before the night comes and no one can work. And they are, li they are living in, uh, with, with a generational heritage and an understanding and a willing acceptance of creatures that were functioning unopposed since the time that we're reading about here and probably before that. Now, I'm not worried about that. I'm spending too much time talking about that factor. But it is there. So while you're praying for the spirit of truth and sonship, that, which is the spirit of God, while you're praying for um, the comforter to, to call these folks and to let them respond and say, yes, I will, I will stand. I will, I will be part of this ecclesia. I will, I will take my place. I will abide with you on behalf of what the Father is wanting. I'll stand with Jesus here. Know that what God is laying upon you is this additional dimension of warfare against the Spirit of truth. We're not fearful of it, but knowledge is power, especially if it's the knowledge of the Word. So you think about, I just listed these, and I, I always thought, oh, man, I've really taken it long today. I didn't need to tell you that, did I? You can look at these, uh, page 4 and 5, different instances of what I believe is this influence at crucial moments in the New Testament, like... Uh, Listlessness, that's a good word. Say that five times fast, not right now. Dull of hearing, Hebrews 5. Spirit of slumber, only used once and there, Romans 11, 7 through 12. Uh, the satanic agenda in John 8. Why do you not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my word? You are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer, a man-killer from the beginning, and he abode not in the truth, 
because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convinces me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God hears God's words. You therefore hear them not, because you are not of God. This is against truth and sonship. And that's from John the Beloved. Isn't that something? So he equates those that don't receive the truth with being of their father, the devil. Final thoughts, there they are. And the last one is friends of the bridegroom. They stand and hear. That's you and me preparing the way of the Lord. So I pray that God will help us. And I, there was a reason I knew this wasn't a stem winder Sunday morning sermon, but I gave it to you anyway. I, I really wasn't going to talk about this. I had another message. How many times have you heard this? Until I read the first Saturday words from yesterday, and I saw that Pastor Haley spoke about the, sp the deaf and dumb spirit. Did you read that? And so I thought, well, all right, I'll put this other message away, and we'll go on ahead and go with this. Because um, when was the last time in any of First Saturday words did we ever get a word about a deaf and dumb spirit? Anybody remember one? Anyway, Father, I thank you for your kindness to us. I pray that you'll help us to do something good with this for you. And help us as we pray this week to be what you need us to be in believing for these nations, and not just for these nations, but the other places you're leading us. This is the principle. This is an eternal principle. We're not afraid of the enemy. And we're not ignorant of his devices. But we need the spirit of truth and sonship. We need your spirit. We need the comforter. And we need to teach that, but we also need to recognize that what stands against this is not just humans. It is this organized group of unclean enemies that does not want people to know the Father, that does not want people to know the truth, does not want people to hear and obey, does not want people to stand in the gap and be what God wants them to be. But we will go, we will teach, we will obey you, and your power is greater than the enemy. So I bless everybody here. Thank you for this congregation. Thank you for the saints who are willing to hear these hard messages and to assimilate them and to learn from them. Uh, bless this group today and through this week, and particularly bless Katie and Zach and all the folks that are going to be at the wedding this coming Friday. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Wasn't that nice of me to add your wedding into a sermon against 